Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the true story of a hot young couple who kept reaching for bigger and bigger thrills. The word on the street was that they were living a little bit of the fast life. At some point, somebody would be naked in the hot tub. It's a tale of a successful, confident husband. He was a sportscaster on a very high-profile station. He was friendly, gregarious, charming. His beautiful, charismatic wife she was really vivacious. Everybody liked her. The guys really liked her. And the dark addictions that tore their lives apart. Anytime you bring drugs, alcohol, and extracurricular activities into a relationship, nothing good can happen. Their spiral down from a picture-perfect family life will end in an act of horrifically senseless murder. Beware, extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. Huntington Woods, Michigan is a very prosperous, predominantly Jewish suburb of Detroit. Huntington Woods is a very well-heeled community, large houses, um, persons in a higher income. Mark Unger and his wife Florence, known to everyone as Flo, both grew up in this affluent environment. Mark was a few years older than her, and Mark was already starting to establish himself as kind of a rising star of the Huntington Woods Jewish community. He was sportscaster on a very high-profile station called WJZZ. Young guy, you know, uh, going places. Flo is in college. She was really vivacious. Everybody liked her. Guys really liked her. She was bubbly. She was fun. 
Um, she was just a really lively person who was the life of any party that she went to. Mark would say to me that he hit the jackpot with his flowy, because Mark was, you know, a pretty decent-looking guy, as guys go. And Flo was a very, very attractive woman. In 1990, Mark and Flo are married and settle into a life of enviable affluence in Huntington Woods. Florence didn't need to work. Um, she lived the lifestyle of uh, a housewife who pretty much got to do what she wanted to do. Mark was a local sportscaster, um, loved his job. Um, life was pretty good for a number of years for the Youngers. And by 1996, the couple have a young family, two boys to whom they are totally devoted. She was a good mother, not doting. He was a good father, totally doting. He would put the kids to bed, and if I called him on a given night, he'd say, brother, call me at 9.30. He says, you know, I always read to the kids. And he was insane about reading to those children and being a good dad. It seems like Mark and Flo have found true happiness. They got two young, beautiful children. She's beautiful. He's sort of got this aura that successful men have. They were living the life. But there's more to this successful young couple than meets the eye. Mark and Flo begin hosting racy hot tub parties that become notorious in Huntington Woods. The word on the street was that they were living a little bit of the fast life. There were any number of people would say, oh, you ought to ask so-and-so about the hot tub parties. Everybody knows about the hot tub parties. I think very likely from what I heard, there was a lot of marijuana smoking. There were rumors that there was sexual things going on, whether it was the Ungers or some of the other people. At some point, somebody would be naked in the hot tub. It's like any community. The folks who happen to be live wires tend to hang around with each other on Fridays and Saturdays. They wanted to be seen as youthful and sexual. They liked the idea of being the couple that threw the parties everyone wanted to be at. But those early good times don't last forever. By the early 90s, Mark Unger's dream job as a sports broadcaster is at odds with the reality of supporting his family. I don't know what he was making at JZC, but it wasn't anywhere near enough to pay the bills in Huntington Woods. So he had this wonderful job. That wasn't all he wanted out of life. He wanted flow, the nice cars. He wanted to have the biggest house in Huntington Woods, even though he couldn't pay for it. In order to keep up with their lifestyle, Mark decides to leave his sportscasting career at the radio station for a higher paying position. Mark went from being a sportscaster, where he was really happy with his job, to um, having to become a mortgage broker, a job he didn't really like very much. Mark's new job not only provides for the Unger's taste for the good life, it also serves to fund one of Mark's guilty pleasures. There was no shortage of drugs being consumed by Mark and their friends. The rumors were that this was a hard partying group of people. But while Mark indulges in drugs, Flo's vice of choice is just as addictive. High-end antique shopping. Both Mark and Florence were self-indulgent. They couldn't stop. 
For Mark, it turned out to be drugs. In Florence's case, it was the shopping. She loved antiquing, and not the low-end antiquing where you're looking for an estate sale, or, you know, she went to the high-end shops looking for the good stuff. Her biggest problem up till then was where to hide the antiques she bought on the weekend so Mark wouldn't find out that she'd blown another $1,000 on a hutch and a dresser. While Mark is making a good living selling mortgages, it pales in comparison to the glamour of the sports world he left behind. Over time, he begins feeling depressed. It's not an exciting day-by-day -day existence. He's filling out forms to get people qualified for loans. It doesn't match up to being courtside, you know, at national championships. And that's not all. Mark also believes that his job is essentially corrupt. Mark Unger knows that the people he's getting mortgages for, by and large, can't afford them. It turned out that they were the canary in the mortgage tunnel. They were doing subprime loans before subprime loans were, were hot. So to Mark's credit, he had an issue with deceiving people. He didn't want to be that kind of person. But soon, Mark finds a way to get through his boring days at the bank with the help of prescription pills. Mark, at some point, had some problems with his back, began taking uh, painkillers, and eventually he went off the deep end with um, taking more than were medically prescribed and ultimately becoming addicted. And while Mark is getting deeper into his destructive drug use, fate puts an even greater temptation in his way. In 1999, three new casinos open in downtown Detroit, just a few minutes' drive from Mark and Flo's house. Soon, Mark is hooked on painkillers and gambling. Mark had an addictive personality, and very often with addicts, they look to things and people outside of themselves to feel better about themselves. Gambling is really never gonna take away the pain of your own existence. And in part, that's what Mark was trying to do. But to an outsider looking in, it still appears that Mark and Flo are living the high life. Money seemed not to be an issue. He's living in this huge house and they're having the hot tub parties and they got the vivacious neighbors and everybody's doing great. But behind closed doors, Mark's addictions are beginning to take a toll on his health and on his marriage. Flo sees that her husband has gained weight and is not acting like the charming, confident man she once knew. Mark was spending a lot more time than he should have gambling, doing drugs. And it was affecting his home life. Flo's angry about it. Things had changed. Their marriage wasn't what it had once been. Florence started to realize Mark was nothing like the man she thought she married. Here she married somebody who was slightly older, successful, a winner in life, and now look what she has. She has this addicted loser who's gaining weight. He's just a huge disappointment. I think she yearned for, in her mind, the mark that she married. Flo begins to confide in her close friends that the marriage is in trouble, and the one person who is able to comfort her the most is her neighbor, Glenn. Flo was unhappy with Mark and seeking solace elsewhere. She was determined 
given her nature to be as happy on as many levels as she could. Glenn was the married neighbor next door. He was a friend of both hers and Mark. He was an attractive guy, part of their social circle. I'm told he was charming, uh, certainly charmed Flo, and good friends of Mark. What is at first just a friendship quickly turns into a secret, erotic love affair. It was a relationship that started more as a friendship than as a physical thing, but that had become physical. I know they were having sex at Mark's house. There was a chemistry between them that was undeniable. But they were exciting each other, and they felt like they were meeting each other's needs, both emotionally and sexually. But while Flo is finding great comfort in her new lover, she's not ready to completely give up on her husband, Mark. I think she wanted to be in love with the man she married, and I think he disappointed her. In a last-ditch effort to save her marriage, Flo asks her friends to help her stage an intervention to convince Mark to enter rehab and get clean. His friends know that he's, Mark, you're always high. At some point, he realizes, yeah, you know, this is, this is crazy. I need to do something. I've got to get off the pills and the booze and the pot. Got to stop gambling. And the way to do that was basically go cold turkey and go into rehab. Mark finally agrees. And as he leaves his old habits behind, he thinks he's saving his marriage. He has no idea that his wife is carrying on a steamy affair behind his back and that the jealousy and obsession that the three lovers are locked into will eventually end in tragedy and murder. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. 
And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. To outsiders, Mark and Flo Unger seem to have it all. A beautiful house, two kids, and they're known as the fun-loving couple who froze wild hot tub parties. But behind closed doors, life in the Unger home is very different. Mark is unhappy at work and addicted to painkillers and gambling. And Flo is cheating on her husband with the neighbor down the block. A marriage that was once happy had gone on the rocks. Mark didn't like his job. They were growing apart from each other. She was conflicted. And I know she loved Mark, but was disappointed with some of the things going on in the marriage. She realized her husband was what she described as a loser, someone who was failing at life. This is not what she bargained for. She wasn't really into for better or for worse. She was into for better or for better. In September 2002, Mark makes a move that he believes is going to save his marriage. At Flo's request, he agrees to enter rehab and get clean. Mark wanted to better himself with the goal that he could win back his wife. He really didn't want to give up on his marriage because he still loved Florence. But while Mark's away in treatment, Flo makes a shocking discovery about the couple's finances. She may be cheating behind her husband's back, but Mark is keeping secrets of his own. When he went off to rehab, Flo started seeing the bills. She was in a state of panic. He'd been juggling all this stuff. She didn't do the finances. She had no idea where they were at until she was opening one bill after another, re realizing what kind of debt load they were under. She was in shock, devastated by the reality that they owed way more than was coming in. With Mark in rehab and the family broke, for the first time in her life, Flo is forced to get a job. She finds work at a local bank. The wealthy girl who was always used to being pampered now had to go out and get a job. She wasn't used to having to work. Quite frankly, she didn't like it. And if that isn't bad enough, Flo's lover, Glenn, the person she's turned to the most, moves to Montana. Deprived of her lover, and obliged to work for a living, she is at an all-time low. She was very resentful about having to work, no doubt about it. She wanted her free time, and she'd want to spend time with the kids. She felt like she was pulling the load for Mark, and that made Florence even more resentful and more angry than she had been prior to Mark entering rehab. But having to work also opens Flo's eyes. As some money starts coming in, she makes a life-changing realization. Being able to provide for herself and her children means Flo can, if she chooses, divorce Mark and survive on her own. Working for the first time gave her a sense of empowerment. She didn't like her job, but she did see that she could earn her own money and that she could support a family. She could live without Mark Unger. 
But Flo can't bring herself to divorce Mark while he's still in rehab. That would be cruel. He was still the father of her two children, and he was a good father, and she didn't want to kick him while he was down. She wanted to wait a bit till he got his feet on the ground, and she could feel okay telling him what she really wanted from him, which was a divorce. After months in rehab, Mark comes back home, and he's a new man. But it seems to Flo that her husband has just traded in his old addictions for some new ones. Mark Hunger, after he came out of rehab, really kind of switched his addictions from pills and gambling to the whole therapy and rehabilitation process. He was meeting with a number of counselors, a number of therapists. He wanted individual therapy, group therapy, marriage therapy, and then meeting with a rabbi. And it really seemed to be, at least to flow, a substitute for the previous addictions that took him into therapy in the first place. To use Florence Unger's words, he became addicted to it. And there's more. Because of a quirk in his insurance policy, Mark no longer has to work as a mortgage broker, the job he hated so much. Mark Unger had uh, a very unusual insurance policy. I've never seen one like it to this day. If he couldn't work specifically as a mortgage broker, then he was entitled to $10,000 a month under the premise that being a mortgage broker was just too stressful and in fact would set him back on the path towards the addictions that put him in rehab in the first place. Now sober and not bound by having to work, Mark is very focused on doing what it takes to win back his wife's affection. He starts spending long hours at the gym getting back into shape. But his actions still strike Flo as selfish. He was taking weight off, looking great. She saw this as just another, Mark's driving me crazy, he's never home, he's at the health club, he's working out day and night, he doesn't want to get a job. He's doing what she wants to do. It's stay home and work out and cook and be with the kids. Then at one of their couple's therapy sessions, Flo finally says what's on her mind. In front of the therapist, Flo asks her husband for a divorce. Mark is completely taken by surprise. Flo told Mark she wanted to end the marriage actually in a therapy session. I think she wanted the protections of the therapy session and the therapist there to make sure that Mark didn't boil over when he heard the actual news. She needed the couple's counseling session as a neutral, safe place to reveal the truth. He reacted very badly. I don't think he had realized just how far along Florence had moved in terms of what she wanted with her life. I don't think he expected the finality of her telling him, it's over, I want to move on, this is done. He called me on the phone and was crying that it was over, she wanted to divorce him. And I remember my general advice was, it's not over till it's over. Keep trying just to do your best, be a great dad. He'd gone to rehab, so he'd lost his addictions. Now he's going to lose his wife. Does he lose his kids? Is he going to lose this house? Is, is he going to lose his stature? You know, a lot of his stature comes from he's the guy that landed flow. He's devastated, scared, and, and depressed. Mark Unger may be a new man, free from drugs and trying to do the right thing. 
But his wife, Flo, has finally made a plan to get the freedom she wants. Mark's about to lose what he truly loves, his wife and his boys. What no one can imagine is that this marriage won't be ended by divorce. Its final act will be a cruel and senseless death. It's October 2003. After 13 years of wedlock, Mark and Flo Unger's marriage is in tatters. Mark has been through rehab for drug addiction, and Flo has had an affair with her former neighbor, Glenn. When Flo tells Mark that she wants a divorce, he's devastated. Mark turns to anyone he can think of to convince Flo not to break up their marriage. Mark starts calling her friends, making really a pain of himself, asking them to intercede on his behalf. One of Florence's friends was shocked one day when Mark called her and began to rant and rave, saying, you've got to tell her that she can't do this. He doesn't get much sympathy, and, and I think he sits, feels a bit of betrayal there, like, why aren't my friends helping me? Well, they're maybe not really your friends. They're Flo's friends. But while Mark's emotional state takes a downward spiral, Flo's is about to receive a welcome thrill. Three months before, Flo's lover moved to Montana with his wife. Now he's back for a surprise visit. He was staying with a friend of his, and then they had sex at the friend's house. Florence has so much more passion and excitement with Glenn. He gets her. He understands her. He's a man who can stand on his own two feet. She doesn't feel like she has to mommy him or take care of him, which really depleted her sexual attraction towards Mark. Feeling like mommy to your husband doesn't exactly bring up a lot of sexy feelings. On his last night in Michigan, Glenn stays at Mark and Flo's house, and the tension is unbearable. It's the typical couple who absolutely can't stand each other, and when you're with them, it's so painful for everyone involved. It's like nails on glass. You clear that there was desperate problems in this relationship. Completely in the dark, Mark turns to the worst possible source for advice on how to win back his wife. The irony is, is Mark asked Glenn for advice, of course, not realizing that Glenn had an ongoing affair with her and is in the process of resuming it while he's in town. And Glenn doesn't tell Mark what he wants to hear. You know, maybe you need to think about a new life or a different life. It's clear to him that they were not going down a path that could be repaired. But Mark refuses to accept that possibility. Hoping to patch things up with Flo, he proposes that the family go away to their favorite lakeside resort for the weekend. Mark suggested that Florence and him go up to Waterbale to keep things as normal as possible for the children. Mark probably had a second agenda to get Florence to reconsider the fact that she felt the marriage was over. Flo reluctantly agrees. She tells her friends that although she still wants to divorce Mark, it's important to put forward a good face for the children. She didn't want to get back together with Mark. That wasn't her intention. But she did want to model for her two boys that she and their father could get along, that there could be a positive afterlife once the two of them divorced. On Friday, October 24th, 2003, Mark, Flo, and their two young sons drive up to Watervale. 
After eating dinner at a nearby restaurant, they settle the boys in at the cottage to watch videos. Then, Mark and Flo head out to the boathouse roof deck for a nighttime drink. Mark and Florence went out to a boat deck, which is a gathering place where people would sit on lounge chairs, hang out. It was a favored place at the resort. As they sit looking out over the lake, a local resident rose up to say hello. Fred was a handyman around the Watervale Resort. He encountered Flo and Mark and actually had a short conversation with them. In fact, he apologized. He thought he was interrupting a, a lover's kind of tete-a-tete, -tete, you know, and, and they were like, oh, no, who are you? And they had this, you know, friendly chat for a few minutes. Fred explains that he lives nearby and that he's about to row his boat back home in the dark. Flo's, oh, my gosh, you're going to go off in that little boat across the lake in the dark? I, I could never do that. I'm afraid of the dark. But it turns out that Flo is notoriously uncomfortable with being outside at night. Everybody said Florence had a very pronounced uh, fear of the dark. And one thing about up north Michigan, especially at that time of year and that time of night, it is dark out there. There's only a handful of cabins surrounded by thick pine and hardwood forest. You, you can be out there with your hand in front of your face, and you're not going to see your hand. Fred rose off into the darkness, leaving Mark and Flo behind. But a very real horror is about to befall the Ungers. This would be the last time anyone would see Mark and Flo together and alive. The next morning, the resort's owner makes a gruesome discovery. In front of the boathouse where Mark and Flo were having drinks the night before, a woman's body is floating face down in the lake. It's Florence Unger, and she's dead. Thirty-seven-year-old Florence Unger is dead. In the early morning hours of October 25, 2003, her body is found floating in front of the boathouse at an exclusive lakeside resort in northern Michigan. The resort's owner calls 911, and within minutes, the police arrive to investigate. When I arrive on scene, Florence was lying face down in the water. I looked at the boathouse, and as I look up, I noticed that the wood railing that surrounded the platform on top of the boathouse was broken and fractured out. And then as I followed my line of sight down onto the cement apron, I seen a large pool of blood. At first glance, it appears that Flo fell off the boathouse's rooftop deck, landed on the concrete below, and rolled into the water. But the most important thing police need to understand is, how did she fall? Was it a terrible accident? Did she jump? Or was she pushed? You know, I'm running through mine, okay, a suicide. If Florence was up there, who would jump 10 feet to try to kill themselves? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The officer turns to one of the last people reported to have seen Flo alive, her grieving husband, Mark. Mark Unger, who's hysterically yelling, screaming, he was bent over under the ground on all fours, crying, oh, why, why? Once Mark has had a chance to calm down, 
He's questioned about the events leading up to the last time he saw his wife alive. According to Mark, the previous night, the couple shared a drink on the boathouse rooftop deck. Mark then left Flo alone while he went inside their cottage and tucked the children in for the night. At some point, he went back out, and Florence was no longer on that deck. And he assumed she had gone up to the Duncan residence, the Duncans being the owner of that boat deck, to have a glass of wine. He wasn't alarmed, and he went back to the cottage and fell asleep. Wakes up, it's morning. Oh my God, it's morning. Turns, Flo hasn't come to bed. There's no sign of her. As Mark continues to explain the events of the previous night, his behavior and emotions become increasingly erratic. I could just watch his behavior change in an instant. He starts making phone calls, receiving phone calls. From talking to one person, this crying in this sadness of, oh, I can't believe she's dead. And then he'd get another phone call, and all of a sudden, he's just business to this other person. The officer also sees something significant that makes him think things are not quite right here. Behind the cottage where the Unger family is staying, their car is packed and ready to go. I noticed the back tailgate to his Ford Expedition is open, and I see all his stuff is packed, the dog crate, his luggage. So then I go through my mind, wait a minute, this guy packed up all his belongings 45 minutes to an hour after finding his wife deceased? But Mark has an explanation. He wants to take his children away from this horrific scene as fast as he can. I could still understand wanting to get his sons out of there, but Mark was wanting to get out of there. I want to leave. I just want to get out of there. Everyone who noted Mark's behavior after the incident noted that it seemed quite odd. He didn't seem to be asking the questions a normal spouse would be asking. He wasn't asking, what happened to my wife? You know, how could have this occurred? You know, why isn't somebody down there doing something, getting her body out of the water? He wanted to leave the premises while Flo's body was still floating. Next, the officer interviews the resort owner, Lynn Duncan, who found Flo's body. According to him, Mark's strange behavior began the moment he was told his wife had been found floating in the lake. After Lynn Duncan told Mark, you're not going to like it, Mark, she's in the water, Mark Unger ran directly to the area where Florence's body was floating in the water. This was highly unusual because Lynn had not told Mark where the body was in fact located and where Florence's body was located was not visible from the location where this conversation took place. And that's not all. The resort's owner notices that when Mark jumps into the water and wades to flow, he makes no effort to remove her body from the lake. He doesn't even touch her. Doesn't touch her. If you see somebody lying face down in, in water, what is your first reaction? To me, I'm going to grab him and get that head up. He ran into the water, got to her, and was like almost paralyzed, and then jumped and gets back out. Now, very suspicious of Mark, Officer Packard goes back to the boathouse to search for more clues. Soon, he finds a major one. There's a large pool of blood on the cement where Flo's body fell from the roof. 
but no trail of blood leading into the water. How did Flo's body wind up in the water unless someone moved her? If somebody was to fall off the railing, hit, and then roll into the water, I don't believe you would have had that amount of blood. So I thought she had to have lied there for some amount of time to bleed out for it to get that big. What really happened to Flo? The detectives process the scene to see what the evidence can tell them. Mark Unger and his sons are allowed to leave while Flo's body is sent for an autopsy. Back in Huntington Woods, Flo and Mark's neighbors find out about this tragic incident. The community is shocked and torn about whether Mark could have been involved. The community was pretty polarized with a certain faction believing that Mark, in fact, had killed Florence Unger. Other people who were staunchly loyal to Mark were just as convinced that he hadn't been involved. But three weeks after Flo's death, investigators have their answer. The autopsy reveals that Flo died from brain trauma after falling off the boathouse roof and hitting the cement. Her death is deemed accidental, and the case is closed. Or is it? Flo's family is grief-stricken, but they know something deeply personal about Florence. And to them, it proves that Mark's story doesn't add up. Could this new piece of evidence blow the case wide open and change the nature of Florence Unger's death from a tragic accident to premeditated murder? On the morning of October 25, 2003, 37-year-old Florence Unger is found floating face down in the water at a Michigan lakeside resort. An autopsy report says she died of a head trauma after she fell from the boathouse's rooftop deck and hit her head on the concrete below. But Flo's family suspects this was no accident and that her husband, Mark, had something to do with her death. Flo's family is convinced right off the bat, Mark killed her. They were going through a divorce. Mark didn't want to get divorced. He asked her to go away for a long weekend, and suddenly he doesn't have to worry about a divorce. But most importantly, a crucial part of Mark's story of what happened that night is scrutinized. He says that he left Flo alone on the boathouse deck when he went to put the children to bed. But Flo's father says his daughter would never have let Mark leave her alone in the pitch black because Flo was terrified of the dark. Ever since Florence Unger was a little girl, she was deathly afraid of the dark. Her father said that when she was little, he'd have to rock her. She'd say, leave a night light on. You know, I'm afraid of the dark, Daddy. Just an irrational fear of the dark. She would have been kicking and screaming, Mark, where are you going? No, I'll go with you. We'll both go together to check on the kids. Absolutely convinced that Mark is lying, Flo's father puts pressure on the district attorney's office to reopen the case. Seven months after Flo's death, the DA arranges for a second autopsy. And this time, the results are quite different and shocking. The medical examiner determines that Flo was alive for up to an hour and a half after hitting the concrete and died from drowning, not a brain trauma. Somebody had to have moved Flo's unconscious body into the water and drowned her. 
With her brain trauma, she was not able to move, walk, roll, nothing. Lawrence Unger was not conscious, or she would have not been able to move on her own power. The only reason to put somebody in the water is to take the life of that person. And who had the access and the motive to kill Florence Unger? The police believe the answer can only be one man, her husband, Mark. With this new revealing evidence, Mark Unger is arrested and charged with first-degree murder. On June 14, 2006, Mark Unger is brought to trial. The prosecution lays out for the jury what they think really happened that fateful night. They get up on the roof. In a romantic moment, maybe he goes to kiss her. She pushes him away, says, what are you kidding me? Or he's saying, we need to get back together. At some point, she says, look, it's over. She gets mad at him, hits him, he pushes her back. At some point, boom, she topples over, hits her head. He looks down, oh my God, this horrible thing. He goes down, checks on her, she's still breathing. He says, oh, what do I do now? He realized at that point that if Florence were to survive, either she would point the finger at him as being responsible for her fall, or possibly that Florence would not be the same person she had been before. Because of the timeline of events, the prosecution believes that Mark then left Flo's body where it was and came back hours later to purposely move her into the water and drown her. Whatever the thinking process was, Mark moved Florence Unger into the water. Prosecution's case is based solely on Mark's actions in moving Florence. That was a conscious decision, and that is first-degree murder. The prosecution also points out inconsistencies with Mark's story the night before Flo died. There were many holes in Mark's story. First off is he made a point of telling a friend that he had put his arm around Florence uh, on the deck that night. Knowing Florence's mindset that night, um, number one, that seems extremely unlikely. But what seems even more unlikely is the idea that if they were involved in that type of intimate contact and and Mark was getting close to Flo and they were having a good discussion that he's ever gonna go back to the cottage in the first place and leave her down there alone. That just didn't seem to ring true. Because there are no direct witnesses, the defense tries to create doubt in jurors' minds that Mark Unger committed the crime. The defense theory was really that the prosecution had not proved what happened that night. They presented evidence that the deck may have had some dry rot on it, that Florence may have fallen accidentally. Throughout the trial, Mark maintains his innocence. As a part of his defense, he claims he did not see Flo from the moment he left her on the deck until well after her drowning. The defense chooses not to call Mark to the stand. Mark Unger chose not to testify in this trial. That was no great surprise. Mark Unger was known to have a volatile temper, not like being questioned about different things in his life. Putting him on that witness stand would have been a huge gamble for the defense. I don't think that the jury would have really come to a different conclusion had Mark testified. 
The jury really focused in on the scientific evidence, on the physical evidence, and on the story that they both told. The jury takes four days to decide on a verdict. And on June 21st, 2006, Mark Unger is found guilty of first-degree murder. But there are some who still disagree with the verdict and believe Mark's reactions after the murder speak for themselves. I checked my voicemails, and there was a nearly hysterical voicemail from Mark. Mort, call me, call me, it's flowy. So I knew something horrible had happened. Unless he was a master cover-upper, which I don't think he is or was, it was the voice of a distraught, grieving husband, and not the voice of someone that hurt his wife. Frankly, this was a very hollow victory for the prosecution. There are no winners here. Two young boys were left without mother or a father. It's this tragic spiraling events where they had a father who was loving, but he was also a substance abuser. He was also a gambling addict. He was also a man having a very hard time dealing with reality without having a mental breakdown. I would like to know what led up to, let's say, the argument, what led up to Florence being pushed over the railing, I think, from the sons, the boys, to really know. I don't think any, say, maybe healing, forgiveness, or how can you move on until you acknowledge a wrong that needs to be righted. Florence and Mark Unger were like the storybook couple that went the wrong way. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.